This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness. So you know what I mean by the formula. Calories in minus metabolic rate minus calories burnt is... What, what makes me laugh is, do you even think people are that scientific? I don't think people are that scientific, but I think they sort of instinctively know that if you burn more calories than you've taken in, than you've eaten, then you're going to lose weight. That's pretty. I think that's pretty much obvious. Yes, it is standard. It is a standard thing. But I feel like a lot of people go to the cardio, not so much because of the amount of calories that they're going to burn, but it's the easiest form for most people to do. You don't need any help. And also, I think most people will, will start off, typically when they want to make a change, by opting to do something that's more vigorous. I mean, going for a run feels like you've done something active towards trying to solve your problem. And movement-wise, they're easier. It's easier to go on a rowing machine and row than it is to pick up a weight and squat it's easier to go on a bike than it is to squat we'll come to the weight training stuff in a few weeks time because I think that's an important area that we need to discuss when it comes to weight loss stuff but as we've already discussed I was overweight so let me put you into the mindset of wanting to make a change but not having the knowledge of how to make the change alright let's go it's more than likely you've wanted to make a change for a while you've been considering it and you've been unhappy with where you're going and what you're doing but you don't necessarily have the knowledge of what changes you to make. So there's a lot of confusing information out there. You know, people will tell you that you should go vegan. People will tell you that um, you should only eat two meals a day or six meals a day. And all of that stuff we'll discuss when we get into the food discussion side of this. But one of the areas that is most commonly sort of recommended is being active. And if you're not a member of a gym because you're starting right from the beginning, you're probably your first port of call is going to be trying to go and be trying to walk more effectively. And then you might find that walking has some small effect, so the logical step is to go up to running, because running is obviously walking plus. And so that's the mindset. So what then happens is, as time goes on, you find it's hard and it's challenging, and you get very sweaty, and you feel like you've done something, but it's uncomfortable. So over time, they start to associate that discomfort with progress. They might well see progress on the scale in the direction they want to go they might well feel like they're getting fitter so slowly that discomfort that pain that challenge is what they associate with training to get where they want to get to so you might have met people like this and you would have probably seen them in the gym the people who don't ever want to stop they never want to have a rest they never want to back it down they're always pushing at 100 percent if they're not covered in sweat during their workout they don't feel like they've done a workout you've got to try and chain them down the thing i find about that mindset most intriguing is once you actually talk to them and explain, you know, weight loss and the goals they're trying to get to, cardio is one of the, by itself is one of the hardest routes to get there. Oh yeah, it's 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 virtually impossible to get the progress they want to get to. And you know, when you start looking at different types of cardio, like formats of intensity, when you look at the different types of cardio format in terms of intensity, you realise to really get what they want every session they need to hit a brick wall and most people aren't willing willing or physically prepared to hit that brick wall no and that's it's, it's funny because when you look at it from a numbers perspective on paper it should be easy what do you mean by on paper okay so i cycle right around day by day okay so roughly i cycle for about 30 minutes on each journey i do and i do around and about four journeys a day. All right. So two hours of cycling a day. 
right? According to my uh, watch, I burn an average of about 150 calories each of those cycling sessions. So I burn 600 calories a day. Just on cycling? Just on cycling, right? When you add in all the other things that I do in the day, I burn close to 1,000 calories a day when you add in my training sessions too. Okay. Right? So 1,000 calories a day extra is a lot to burn off. On paper, if I'm burning 1,000 extra calories a day, I shouldn't need to worry about diet or anything like that because 1,000 extra calories is 5,000 extra calories a week, just Monday to Friday, right? I should be weighing nothing, but I don't because my body's adapted to my cardio. That's an interesting thought process. And this is the same you can see with marathon runners because if, if someone's building their way up to run a marathon, right, they're going to be running 10, 15 miles per session two, three times a week, right? They're going to be burning a lot of calories, right, in those sessions, probably in the region of about 2,000 calories for some of those sessions. But look at the London Marathon. You don't see every single person being super lean. You see a lot of normal-looking people because their bodies have adapted to their cardio output. Or they could just have such a bad metabolism. If we go with your theory, there's no way you could actually have that many calories in terms of food to offset and actually have a positive calorie balance. There's no way you can run that much and not have a negative calorie balance. Exactly. You'd have to physically lose weight. And obviously, to begin with, when your body's you know, not adapted to it, you will lose weight. But over time, you lose less and less. And this is why when people just try and do things through cardio work, they see less and less progress because their bodies adapt to what they're doing, right? Their metabolic rate is slowed down to, to match the amount of output they've got because that becomes the norm. I cycle 20 kilometers a day. My body's adapted to that. I'm used to doing it. Because I'll tell you what does happen on the weekends when I don't do that is my weight does fluctuate up because I haven't done the 20 kilometers on each day. That's weird. It's not because my body's used to doing the 20 kilometers a day. Right? I do 12,000 steps, 20 kilometers of, of cycling per day every day, five days a week. That's just how my body works. But Richard, you spoke about all of this, but what about metabolism? First of all, the important thing to note about metabolism is we're learning about metabolism all the time. So we still don't know too much. Yeah, so what we do know is that your metabolism is impacted. So when we talk about metabolism, we, we're really talking about metabolic rate in this scenario. So we're talking about the rate at which you burn calories, right? Mm -hmm. So just me being alive right now, sitting down, I'm burning calories. Those calories are being burnt for my body to run, my brain to operate, my mouth to talk. So that's burning calories, right? When I'm asleep, I'm burning calories. When I'm moving around doing things, I'm burning calories. The more activity I do, the more calories I burn. So it's like petrol in a car, if you want. So when we're talking about metabolism, your metabolic rate makes a huge difference as to how many calories you burn. So some people have got slow metabolisms, right? And some people have got fast metabolisms. But you can adapt your metabolic rate through doing different activities. You can slow it down, you can speed it up. Only in rare cases would you ever think about slowing down your metabolism. No, but people slow it down all the time inadvertently. How? Muscle mass requires a higher amount of calories to sustain it. So therefore you need a faster metabolic rate to maintain those muscles. Body fat doesn't require that metabolic rate. So if you take a 100 kilo man, and if that man is... 10% body fat okay, and has let's say 60 kilos of muscle on them which is a huge amount of muscle mm -hmm. their metabolism is going to be running way faster than a 100 kilo man 
who has 60 kilos of body fat on him and say 20 kilos of muscle yet they're the same weight and so metabolism makes a huge difference in terms of how those two individuals run so if you live a more sedentary life if you live a less active life you're more likely to have a slower metabolism the more cardio work you do the more likely you are to slow your metabolism down because as i've sort of already addressed the more cardio work you do the more adapted you become to it and because your body gets used to it as a normal output so taking my example 20 kilometers of cycling a day my body's not going to want me to waste away to nothing so it's going to slow my metabolism down as a result of the cardio work i'm doing Lawrence doesn't do 20 kilometers of cycling a day no way if he did 20 kilometers of cycling tomorrow he'd notice a sizable impact on the scale by the following day it would be horrible whereas my scale doesn't move because it doesn't get impacted by that. But that's why I think in terms of cardio, we're going to outline this later, but you've got steady state and hit cardio. In my opinion, being a person who doesn't really believe in that steady, long state cardio, hit cardio is the only thing that I can really prescribe and say to you is beneficial. There, there are benefits to doing steady state stuff. So, Yeah, but just time dependence. Yeah, and I mean, steady state, I think, is a better methodology when you're outside. Because... Easier to do. Yeah, hit outside is really hard because apart from jumping, what other options do you have? So from a practicality perspective, steady state is a better option if you don't have a gym. Uh. But in terms of working with a trainer, you really should only be ever doing hit with them. There's no point in doing steady state with a trainer unless your goal is to improve your running technique or your cycling technique. For those who haven't rated and reviewed us, please do so. If you're able to rate and review us, then you can actually start to send us stuff, send us questions that you may have about fitness or any queries or any topics that you may want us to talk about because ultimately we're here to help you guys better understand the world of training. So, I don't know if you remember this, but when I first started working in the gym with you, there was a class on the class timetable called boot camp. Yes. Now, I always found this really weird because I'd heard, prior to being a trainer, of boot camps. Knew about them, knew what they were. My view of it was they were always stuff that went on outside and it was basically a high-intensity class. But then when I spoke to the guy who was taking that class, he was basically teaching a hit class. So, for a little while... I was a little bit confused as to what that class actually was. But over time, I came to realise that for most people, boot camp and HIT were really the same thing. Yep. Now, what's interesting about HIT is I'd first come across HIT a couple of years before when I was reading a book that was, I think, partly written by Carl Lewis. He certainly had his name on it. And that book was about how Carl Lewis used HIT in the 80s as a means to get fit for the Olympics. Interesting. Yeah, and a lot of the book was about how he used HIT to basically uh, perform sort of small overloads on his system to bring his fitness levels up without fatiguing himself. And also, as a byproduct, it burnt a lot of body fat. And the book was really about that utilizing HIT to burn body fat angle because obviously that's what's going to sell more. But I got the impression from the bits that Carl Lewis had written. It was more about 
the fitness for him and that the the weight loss was was kind of a very much a side element here yeah because if you're thinking about an athlete doesn't really worry about the weight loss it's about the performance goals well exactly and then this this brings us neatly into well i suppose we should define hit first yes we should richard hit for the listeners is high intensity interval training so effectively it's bouts of short bouts of high uh, intensity exercise followed by rest periods followed by bouts of high intensity exercise and you repeat this process for a set amount of time so there's different variations of this people have probably heard of of stuff like tabata as an example that was very popular at one point which was 20 seconds of work and 10 seconds of rest so there there are all these various different versions of hit that float around but effectively it's this high intensity bout followed by a recovery period ultimately if you take away that kind of um name that the fitness industry gives it it's just interval training yeah it's in it's intervals and it's i I think there's some scientific element where you're supposed to get to a certain heart rate but really and truly for most people it doesn't it doesn't really go like that does it i mean the average general person in a gym or who's doing it outside say they're doing it for running they don't have the fitness and conditioning to get down in the recovery so in terms of interval training or hit as they call it I've used it quite a lot, but I've used it on cardio exercises. Yeah. So because I feel that hit training works works well. However, hit training, if you get the high intensity right, as you said, they can't maintain it for too long. But the issue you get with most people is when you're doing it with weights, it gets to that point where the more they do, the more they risk injury. Yeah, because their level of technical ability falls off because of fatigue that's it so then you think instead of doing it on with weights what can you really do it with and also for the listeners out there as well as it getting to the point where you're gonna cause injury using the weights you're actually not gonna get more out of it no you're not because you're not gonna get more muscle mass because you're working in endurance and on top of that you could have probably done something that wasn't high intensity with the same weight same exercise slower duration and actually got a bigger calorific deficit than the high intensity yeah i mean let's let's throw some numbers into this sorry for people who don't like maths but let's put some numbers actually on this right if you take using carvonan 220 minus age most people let's say your average median median age is 30 right that gives you 190 as your max heart rate if you don't understand what we're talking about we'll cover this another day it's too complicated and long to go into now but 190 is your maximum heart rate if you're trying to work at about, let's say, 80% as your, as your upper limit, 80% of 190 is about 150, give or take. 60% is 95. So if you're going to do HIIT training, you're going to push up to 150. That's your work level. That's where you're in your, in, that's where you're in your high intensity interval. And then your recovery process is where you go below 95. Right. So if you're an athlete, because you need to get below 60 to get into recovery be 60 percent heart rate so if you're doing a interval and your interval bout is first of all 20 seconds at over 150 for most people is really hard they ain't going to be up there they're not going to be up there 150 is high right when when i've done long duration running work i'll float about 130 140 150 is quite high to sustain so you have to push really hard to get above that. And then you've got to get back down below 95 in your recovery period. So if you do 20 seconds work, and even if you've got 40 seconds recovery, 
And most people are going to get back down in the first round below 95. No, but that's why interval, sorry, hit training works if you're monitoring someone's heart rate. And by monitoring their heart rate, the hit doesn't start until they get to that level. Exactly. So what you end up having to do is what happens in a class setting when you do hit is at first, a few after a few times, you do get above 150 because you've been working that hard. But subsequently, you never come back down in recovery. So you end up having this weird flat line where basically you're about 120 to 130 every single time. You're 130 in the exercise, you're 120 in recovery, you never really get anywhere and you're not really doing hit anymore. Because hit is about the recovery as much as it is about the intensity. Hence why it should just be called interval training. It's based on time, not heart rate. Hit should be based on heart rate. Interval training is based on time. Yeah, and what you end up with is just this weird intensity process which people think is hard and therefore think it's good. But then you know why? It's because it's one, another one of the situations where it's all the stigmas in the fitness industry put around certain things, like, you know, running. Yeah. How running's amazing for losing weight. No, it's just the easiest to do because you don't need anybody to do it. However, you may lose weight, but then you may lose your knee and your ankle along the way because of the amount of strain it puts on your body. So it's, it's just one of those things. I don't think the industry will truly ever get out of the hip mentality, especially in classes. So one of the things I like to do is with most exercises, I like to make them as foolproof as possible. So, you know, for the listeners out there, in my mind, that's as safe as possible. Yeah. If you're asking someone to do something at such a high level of intensity, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Absolutely. So I always stick to cardio. I would do the interval training on the rowing machine, on the bike, on the treadmill sometimes, but I still worry about the treadmill because, so not even the treadmill, the curve. Oh, I see, yeah. Because I know how much people love the treadmill and I don't want to slate the treadmill. But if you put your foot down on the treadmill and you don't use any of your body, it's still going to go back. Yeah. It's propelled back. You're not propelling yourself forward. You're kind of bouncing on the spot and letting the treadmill do the work your posterior chain should do. Yeah, there's a different, there's a different method between treadmill running and real road running. So... On the curve, it's like a half hamster wheel. So you have to do the work. It's almost like running outside. So that in that aspect, you're not running at any false level. Because you know on a treadmill, someone put up to 18 and you know run at 18 or run at 20 or whatever extremely fast level there, there is. Yeah. But you can't actually maintain that. Ultimately, you're not actually doing it. The treadmill's doing it and you're somehow staying up and not flying into the wall. <laughs> so if, if you take that misconception out, the curve you can sprint on and actually get to a good speed and, and actually recreate running. So on those ones, I would do it. For the listeners out there, one of the things that I do is I formulate in a way where it's either neutral, positive or negative rest. Yeah. Okay, so let's break that down because I know what that means, but let's break that down for the listener. So if we say the work period is always 30 seconds. Right. So then neutral rest is 30 seconds rest. 40 seconds would be positive rest. 20 seconds would be negative negative rest. Yeah. And you work off that and then you see where a person is and then you can set a certain distance. So if it's a short distance, you might be more likely to give 
negative rest. If it's a longer distance, you might be, you're definitely going to give either neutral or positive rest until they get good enough for that same distance to do negative rest. Yeah. So play with that. Uh, one thing that people don't talk about, which I understand the mechanism of, but I don't like it because of the practicality. Okay. Is EDT, escalating density training. Okay, so what's that? So they say it's really good at building muscle. So it's 15, let's say, pick three, any three exercises, which encompass most of the body, 15 minutes continuous of all three. So let's say 15 reps here, 15 reps there, 15 reps on the third one. With, with these exercises, do they have to be body weight or can they be, say, barbell waist? No, most of it is should be, you should have weight. It shouldn't be body weight. Okay, so theoretically you could just say deadlift, squat and overhead press. No, they're too complex. Okay, so it needs to be more simple movements. Yes, it would be simple movements. So maybe... So like you could do a bent over row, you could do like a dumbbell squat, uh, you could do uh, chest press. Right, okay. Those type of things, simpler movements. But there's science behind it. It's good at building muscle. But if you think about the weight you have to lift and the duration you're lifting it for, doing three exercises for 15 minutes with no rest is going to be boring after eight. And I'm being generous. In my mind, it's boring after four. Well, also as well, if you were to say it takes an average of one second to do half of the reps, so one second concentric, one second eccentric, right? 15 reps is 30 seconds. 30 seconds times by um, three is 90. Plus, you've got a transition over each one, so call that five seconds to transition, so 15. So you're looking at 105, minute, 105 seconds per, per set. In 15 minutes, you're going to do about 10 rounds. This is, by the way, when you become a personal trainer, you can make these maths adjustments mentally on how long it's going to take right and how many sets you're going to get done so you're maximally only going to do 10 rounds 10 right? rounds and isn't isn't it basically just speed germ volume training yes in a way the only advantage of this is you sped up the time it takes to do that amount of work but think about it if you go into the classic german volume training for the listeners out there standard german volume training is 10 sets 10 reps two exercises opposites but the time under tension is six seconds which means by the time you've finished one set of both of them you've done two minutes of work so if you times that by 10 you're still short because you've done 20 minutes of work with 10 sets it's edt training you get to about 15 minutes one thing that I keep thinking about this is you're not actually able to use the same volume of weight. No, I mean, this is the thing. It's the adaptation in, in EDT is going to be on recovery process. It's going to be on heart rate more than anything else. If you're using less weight, you're going to get less muscle stimulus. So you, ultimately, you're kind of verging into that, that hypertrophy slash endurance sector rather than hypertrophy because you're not giving the muscle time to rest. Now, Now, on this point, if you look at most studies when they discuss um, muscle gain, they'll tell you that basically any rep range will gain muscle. That's because when they're working with any individual, when they do these studies, they tend to be sort of university-aged males because they're the ones that will choose to do the study because they're the ones that are going to earn the money from the study. And they'll follow this process through. And because of the novelty factor of what they're doing, because it's a new stimulus, they're going to see progress right you don't tend to get long-term studies of these things so with this with this edt 
I'd be very surprised if EDT actually had benefit with anyone who's a trained individual. It might have a, a, a difference on an athlete when they come into the weight room because they don't tend to work in the weight room. You're totally right, Richard. And being a seasoned veteran of training and a personal trainer and being in the industry as long as I have, I look at these type of things and these principles that you know come out and I think that plus, I've seen what the best form of muscle building is. And it is GVT. You can't really beat that with a faster version of that because just the sheer time it takes per rep, per set, and the fact that the amount of stimulus you put on the muscle during that time, you can't do that. No, it doesn't have the benefit. And this is also as well, the other point here is, is it's really it's practically impossible to gain muscle or muscle tone at the same time as lose body fat. Unless you're on special vitamins. <laughs> You know once in a while I need to drop the special vitamins back in. But yeah, generally, generally you're right. We're in that weird area now where we're talking about, you know, the high intensity where you get a lot of people who come in and they say they want to tone. And yeah. Because they want to tone, they want to do high intensity, not, not any other type of weight training. And you think to yourself... You want to tone, but you don't want to gain muscle. But do you not realise that to look toned, you have to have muscle, not fat? Ah, now, I know about this because tone is a made-up word. Yep. So tone means anything the person who says tone wants tone to mean. That fitness. Yeah, and you have to work out what they mean by tone to work out what level of tone you have to create. So does tone just mean flat, no jiggly bits, or does tone actually mean some level of muscle definition. Well, what's even funnier about that is no jiggly bits means you have muscle definition. Yeah, and therefore you have to do muscle toning and definition work without them knowing it. So that's why I'm at the stage where someone, when someone says something like that, or if they came to me and said, you know, I just want to do HIIT training, I would debunk it, rip it to shreds, and say, look, you either let me do what I need to do to get your results, or you train yourself or get somebody else. Because <laughs> it's almost like having a backseat driver. I understand you've got your goals, but you don't come to me because I like your goals and maybe I'm, I want to help you get to your goals and I just know a little bit more than you. You come to me because I'm an expert. And being an expert, a lot of the things you're going to tell me, you probably read in, in a magazine, and I know they're a load of BS. But also, if you've been doing HIIT training to try and get your goal and it hasn't worked, why bringing HIIT training to the table when you're talking to them? Is it going to work? So many questions, Richard, so many questions and just frustration with every single one. Yeah. But let's move away from that. Okay. Steady state training. Okay. So I'm going to define steady state a little bit here because I think when people hear it, they don't really know what it means. So steady state, you'll sometimes see be called LISS, L-I-S-S, which is low intensity, steady state training. So... List is basically rather than with HIT, where you go through bouts of high intensity work trying to, to build up the heart rate and then recover, LIS or steady state is about keeping the heart rate just slightly elevated but effectively low level. So, LIS training can also include walking, it can include some light jog work. It's really working around 60% of your heart rate max. So, going back to my earlier example of the 30 year old person. That would be about 95 as your heart rate. If you go way, way back, so jogging 
was popularised in the 1970s by a guy called Jim Fix. Yeah, I know, close to Jim will fix it, but we'll move away from that topic quite rapidly. So Jim Fix created this model of, of jogging where he argued that jogging was the best, safest form of exercise you could do. It involved obviously running outside. And this concept was based around the idea that you'd elevate the heart rate safely. This is back when, do you remember on most fitness machines, they have that fat burning zone and cardio zone? Yes. So Jim Fix was one of the guys who largely advocated this concept. So you'd run working on your heart rate. So there was ways they'd measure it, but then they'd run against it. So they didn't really have heart rate monitors then, but they'd use like um, a stopwatch and time the beats per minute of their heart. He created this jogging system and this jogging system massively you know, exploded in popularity and that led to everyone running. But you know what it is? Because he, he created a system which gave some people so much freedom because they didn't need anything for it. No, it's cheap and easy, right? And, That's it. And so most people tend to, to, go and, to go and do this. What probably helped him hugely was the fact that a large proportion of doctors backed his movement because ultimately his movement's going to help heart health, it's going to help fitness levels, it's going to burn some body fat, all as byproducts of doing it. So this has then caused this running popularity and now you know fast forward 50 years you see people go and do 5ks every weekend you can see half marathons you can see marathons ultra marathons all this stuff it's all stemmed out of this gym fix concept there's a more modern version of this and that's being pushed forward by a guy called maffetone so maffetone the concept is a bit more complicated than i'm going to outline it but basically maffetone has you figure out a certain heart rate range based on your age it's not carvonan it's slightly different and you run within that heart rate range and the idea being is that this is sort of a level that you could have a conversation at at tempo so i'll give you some numbers so back at the beginning of the year when i was running because we were in lockdown and that's all you could do when i was running regularly my kilometer pace for 10 kilometers was around and about six minutes which is neither great nor terrible right somewhere in the middle when i followed the maffetone system I dropped to seven minutes. And for about a month, I floated around seven minutes. Then I started coming down quite rapidly and I got down to about six minutes, 15, same heart rate. What was interesting about this was my recovery. So I use a Garmin watch and my Garmin watch gives me a recovery time. And it will tell you something like, you know, you go for a run, you finish your run, and it says your recovery, you'll get back to where you were in 72 hours or 48 hours or whatever it says. My watch was giving me an out, um, a recovery time of 23 hours, less than a day. And I tested this. I ran the very next day, same distance, no problems. No muscle soreness, no nothing. Because I was running within the capability of my heart rate. But then, in saying that, were you actually achieving anything? Yeah, because my time was coming down, so I was getting faster. If you take normal running, right, the normal concept of running is to run as fast as you can over a given distance, right? So let's say you're going to run 10K, and you run that 10K at best in 55 minutes. Your goal is to get it under 55 minutes at some point in the future. With Maffetone, your goal is to run at a given heart rate range, and then to bring the time down as a result of staying in the heart rate range. So over time, you actually get fitter, because your heart rate stays flat, but your speed comes up. Because what you learn, so because you can't just run as fast as you physically can do, because you're limited by your heart rate, you have to figure out ways to become more efficient. So what you start to do is you start to focus on your breathing, on your technique, on your form, and you try and make them more consistent. Because the more consistent they get, the easier it gets to run. And the easier it gets to run, the more efficient you get. 
the more efficient you get, the faster you get. So you become more efficient, but have you burnt more calories? This brings us neatly back to weight loss because most people tend to view steady state training as their start point for weight loss. They'll then say, I'm not ready for hit yet. And then eventually they'll try hit and really what they're doing is interval training of some description terribly. Their ultimate goal is weight loss. But weight loss really isn't going to come out of the steady state training necessarily because the fitter you get, the more the more efficient you get, which you're going to get by doing more steady state work anyway, the less calories you're going to burn. From everything you said, Richard, ultimately, your heart and your lungs become more efficient at the oxygen turnover and being able to supply the body to keep you going. However, that's the main system it's working on it's not going to burn the same amount of calories as what you really need. No, because ultimately, so cardiovascular is Latin for heart and lungs. So really, when you're doing any form of cardio, you're just working the heart and the lungs. You're just making them more efficient. That's the real goal of cardio. The byproduct of cardio might be weight loss, but it doesn't have to be. And then that's funny. That's why, going back to what I said at the beginning, I use intervals for my cardio. So my use of interval training is to complement a training session with weights, resistance work, yeah, and to get an extra calorific output. However, you can do so much in 15 minutes as opposed to 45 minutes of steady state. Yeah. And on top of that, you get to that point where, you know, an athlete would use interval training. There are certain systems within the body which you can really manipulate and work on with interval training, like lactate threshold onset of blood lactate yeah these things make you so much more efficient in a lot of activities outside of the gym so for me i'm trying to get that plus the calories at a quicker rate than steady state yeah i mean i wouldn't do steady state in a session with somebody unless they're very 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 low level hit is such a hard realm to get into if you do 15 to 20 minutes of interval training let's say doing 30 seconds to a minute on 30 seconds off whether you go negative or positive rest or so on, you can get such a good amount of work done, regardless of whether, even, whether you do weights or not. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one key thing that people need to think of. And a practical example of this would be, I say to some of my clients that like to run outside is, if you think about running in the park and you've got like a row of six trees in front of you, you would jog slowly up to the first tree, sprint to the second tree, jog slowly to the third tree sprint to the fourth and then so on and so on yeah so you have that without even worrying about the timings you have that high intensity low intensity contrast which works really well and efficiently in terms of burning more calories regardless of your metabolism or you know how far how high your metabolic weight is and regardless of what you're putting in your body because these are factors that you can manipulate outside of the thing of interval training because you've got some people who are at that point where they're kind of stuck or maxed out on what they're going to do in terms of nutrition. And because of that, their metabolic rate or, you know, the level they can push their metabolic rate to has also stalled. So they need to think of what, what can they do to really kickstart and get to that next level. And for most people, it is the interval training because it's something that is very hard to do mentally more than physically. Because you can do a minute on and 30 seconds off but did you really push yourself in that minute did you go to absolute exhaustion and then rest for most people when they start doing intervals they don't do that and hence why i have a job because it's my job to be able to show you the psychology behind 
the practical application of intervals and how to get the best out of it so that you know in 20 minutes you've done more work than you would have done in 45 minutes of not really pushing yourself and once you master that that mental state of actually giving everything you've got in that hard interval everything falls into place so what i'd add to that is the most important factor regardless of anything else is what you can actually motivate yourself to do on a regular basis yes consistency because if you hate running don't run if you hate hit don't do hit if you quite like swimming swim that's the most important thing regardless of whatever we've said today about what is the best the best is the thing you can do most consistently and guys we didn't talk about this but we're very big fans of swimming as a cardio very big fans. yeah i mean probably as in terms of cardio it's probably the best form of cardio yes i would totally agree the final point i'm going to make on this is one of the areas that people always forget when they come to to cardio training and to try and burn calories is the value of walking on average you're supposed to walk 5,000 steps a day the uk average is currently 3,000 that's mind-blowing that's not even close no 3,000 to put this into context i do 3,000 in my house (laughs) on a sunday on a light day i don't know how people are moving less than 3,000 steps a day remember we live in an era of convenience and cars everywhere most people that live in london don't really they don't they live in flats not houses yeah so that's cut out a lot of step everything is literally around the corner so it's terrible but it makes sense yeah but it's the same if if you live outside of london now as well because if you live outside you need a car before you go anywhere so if you make a a point of trying to bring your step count up so if we say that you're at three thousand a day and you try and go up to four thousand five thousand eventually six thousand all up to 10,000 a day, you're going to lose weight. And it's not that difficult. It's not that challenging to add on. It's just making a point of trying to increase steps. Because what you'll find is, in order to increase your steps, you'll have to make a point of going out for walks and being more active. And you'll start to notice the value of doing those things. And it's a much more gentle way of kickstarting your weight loss process. Rather than trying to run for a brick wall, which is the way everyone else does. And, you know, they start off and do that for two weeks every day, sore, beaten up and in pain. And then the net result is is that come day 15, they can't do it anymore. Yep, they've broken something, they're crippled. Broken a toe, messed up the ankle. Yeah, you're right. And they don't do it again for another 12 months. Yeah, it makes sense. But I think the key thing you said was it has to be achievable for you. And it has to be something you like. Most people spend too much time doing stuff for the goal of weight loss, but they don't like the process. Yeah, keep it simple and just work around that. When, when you and I work out, as an example, and we want to, say, improve strength, we don't go in at the level at which we peaked. We work at the level we're at, and we work around it gently. It's the same process here. If, if you're going to try and improve your cardio fitness... You don't jump into peak cardio fitness and try and kill yourself. Nope. You build up. Yeah. And it's the same process with weight loss. You start gentle and you ease your way into it. You make small changes that you can hold on to consistently. That's the secret. And it's not very exciting. And you won't see us tell you about special teas that will make you lose loads of weight. <laughs> right? Strip down your body fat. Yeah. It's very boring and very simple. It's cutting out one piece of bread a day. It's 
going and doing an extra 1,000 steps. It's choosing to do a couple of extra reps or an extra couple of kilos in weight. Stay away from the next podcast. Yeah, well, the next podcast, guys, is going to be Can You Out-Train a Bad Diet? Now, that's going to be cool. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.